0: The Big Footy Port Adelaide Podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team,
1: kind power. I love the power. 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 I love the power.
0: power. 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 Hi and welcome to the Big the Footy Port Adelaide Podcast, a show about all things Port Adelaide Footy Club. I'm your host, Maca 19 and joining me is co-host, as always, we've got Fishing Rick. How are Mac- you, buddy?
1: Maca. Fantastic, mate. mate. How else could we feel that other than fan bloody tastic this weekend? You,
0: you've said it all. What a weekend. Unbelievable. What a weekend for oh, Port Adelaide.
1: Joyous. The footy as club good as it gets. Reunited. Peace back together and look what's happening.
0: That's it. And back on the podcast by popular demand. We got Tribe. Woo What
2: a weekend, boys. <laughs> what oh, a weekend
0: gold oh. seriously how good was that
2: honestly I'm out of breath for some reason I just can't cope with it it's just brilliant one club two, uh, two preliminary finals in one week
0: hello
1: mm. love it exciting times
0: uh, very exciting times we're very... back in the grand final prelim final at AFL level this is uh, this is fantastic for Port Adelaide
1: how's the SNFL going to tear this one down
0: who knows? They'll find a way some here.
1: They'll try. I not know. They'll try. It.
2: It'll, it'll be like Celtic, Legia, Warsaw, where they deem uh, Brueggemann to be like an illegal sub, you know, with three minutes to go, we'll bring him on in an 80 point drubbing and they'll say that it's illegal and we'll get rolled. That's my, that's my tip. Yep. It's probably yep. not going to come true, but that's my tip.
0: Hmm. Look, like last week, uh, before we get started, I want to find out uh, your experience watching the game. Um, I believe neither of you went over for the
1: clash. Oh, I was very close to going, Macca, as you know. I ummed yeah. the NAD for a few days, and I really wanted to take that charter. I probably should have in hindsight. I just uh, I sort of was holding off for this week a little bit. didn't want to splurge too much money, but um, I was very, very close. That's it.
0: Triby. No, Sorry. I didn't
2: either. I've got one of my life rules is to never, go, never get on a light plane. That's one. And my other <laughs> life rule is to never go to Western Australia. Why would you go there? It's closer to Madagascar than it is to the rest of
1: Australia. It's just awful.
2: But no, no. true. Spent, spent it, spent uh, at a mate's place, and it was a, uh, it was a fabulous experience had by all.
1: Actually, I got to say you're right there, Tribe. If it was in Victoria. I, would have, I definitely would have gone, even if it was the price. I think it was the distance which really put me off um, traveling over there, to be honest. Absolutely. It's, uh... So congratulations to all the people that did go over there and make the effort. Yeah, really. well, it would, have
0: been, it would have been fantastic to go over. Absolutely. I ended up staying at home. Um, could not watch the last 10 minutes of the game. I was doing everything possible to not watch it. I turned it over. I saw Man City kick a goal. Uh, really? That was, that was thrilling. Um, I did some dishes, I went outside, I was pacing outside, put some toys away, um, my wife called me an idiot, um, it was fantastic, um, turned it over, missed bloody Wingard's goal, which, uh, which I'm spoon about, um, turned it over just as Chelsea kicked a mark, um, and kicked the seal, and I thought, yeah, I can watch the last five minutes now.
1: The last ten minutes was the best part of the game.
0: Yeah, I know, I, the- I can't handle close games, I'm shocking. Really?
1: Can't help. But we were just dominant. We were just weeing all over them. There was, uh, you could tell that with the momentum of the game, that it was only going to be one result. And my mm. stupid son, buddy, when we're 10 points up, goes with five minutes to go whatever it was. Oh, I'll make you a bet. If Port lose, I'll clean the kitchen. And if Port win. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, go for it. Because <laughs> that's not going to happen. Beauty. <laughs> and there. Uh, yeah. No, but I was like, you, I sat in the lounge and couple of scotches, and and I was fired up, ready to go. I was running oh. around the room with my shirt off and <laughs> uh, high-fiving the air because no one else was in there except for Tyler, and he was a bit scared of me, I think.
0: <laughs> no, I turned it over when free, uh, Freo got a free kick on the edge of the 50 meter I thought, oh, here we go. So I turned it over, walked out of the room in disgust, walked back in about, I don't know, 60 seconds later and flicked it back over, and Pierce is celebrating. I thought, oh, my goodness, here we go. Turned it back off and then went outside and paced up and down the bloody veranda for about five minutes I don't
2: understand how you can do that
0: I can't yeah. I, I'm horrible I can't watch close game. Like, like I, I hate not being
2: able to see live sport when I've got a dog in the fight you know mm. like I, I hate you know having to refresh my phone or get to a television and find out what the score is because mm. if it's bad news it's like a sledgehammer to the face so
1: yeah yeah. so if I was a Frio supporter I probably would have been more like you Mecca, yep. because you, you can see the writing was on the wall with the momentum of the game. And, yeah, that's when I'd probably want to walk out. Mm. But, uh, yeah, how could you? And hopefully we uh, we put up a big fight in our first preliminary final since 2007 this week. So what ripper. a fantastic effort.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, let's go into our love and hate or uh, love and love. I think it'll probably be this week. Um, try be, mate. I'll start with you.
2: All right, love. Who has manual roller shutters here? Uh, none. none. <laughs> no, okay. Well, okay. I'm going to go on with this anecdote, even though it's now moot, But and I assume everyone does this, but when it's time to put them down, I imagine there's a zombie apocalypse outside, and I'm racing to prevent the windows from being breached. <laughs> yep. You ever do that? You ever think about that? No, because you just said you don't have manuals. Yeah, of course. Anyway, oh, yeah. thank you. Thanks, guys. It's flawless. <laughs> um. Anyway, that was Jasper Pittard against Fremantle. Except he was packing some serious, serious countermeasures. So poised, much accuracy, a wonderful display. Stonewall Pitard, or should I say, roller shutter Pitard? How good oh. was he? He That's was selling. very good. He was very, very good. He just showed everything that you know. Like I mean, I'll admit I'm not like uh, Rick. I don't have a uh, a morbid fascination with Jasper and uh, <laughs> oh, everything. Yeah, everything You're not. Everything... Yeah, but, Sick um... <laughs> fascination. A see fascination, but, uh, yeah, USB drives getting confiscated at five in the morning fascination. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. It's a raid, quick.
2: It's, it's a, a raid,
1: it's, it's the Pittard
2: feds. Um, it's the fappening number four. <laughs> it was It was pretty much, I think that was the last installment of the fappening was Pittard's performance on the weekend, but, you know, I, I've previously been critical of him, and he was just fabulous, boys. I mean... Everything that, you know, you, you know that Hinkley's trying to be patient with him and is trying to, uh, you know, make him push through his mistakes and learn from his mistakes and emphasise the good and the risk-taking and the disposal. But I thought when we were really up against it and we were just, everyone was having a shocker, nobody was playing well bar for a cup, one or two here and there, for Jasper Pittard to absolutely perform the way that we know he can when he plays well was just... Honestly, it was an absolute godsend. And had he not been there to kind of bulwark the defence and be so courageous in his decision making and poised, then who knows, we might have been touched up by eight, nine, ten goals leading into half time. So that's my
0: love. Fantastic. Nice love.
1: Can't complain with that goal. love, mate. And, you know, it's good to hear, Macca, that I don't, it, I don't have to be the, uh, the voice of Pittard anymore. There's a lot of people uh, starting to get out there and, and share that loving now. So I think that's fantastic.
0: Hit our nation, it's hit, like hashtag yeah. it's, it's taken over me. the world.
1: Yeah, it is. I'm
2: That's down nice. with JMP. Yeah, you know me. That's
0: it. <laughs> now, do you have a, uh, a hate or a. I do have a hate, actually.
2: A... I don't yeah. mean, you know, I don't want to put a negative spin on things, but I'm going to have to because my hate, as good as they've been, and as I mean, let's face it, as a club, they should be knighted for their services to football because let's face it, their best has improved the code as a whole, I think. Is the Geelong Football Club. So hmm. I'm going to give them a bit of a clip for taking our top four spot. Yeah, um, credit to them for being clutching the close ones, but they won something like six games by under 10 points. And on the flip side, we lost about six games by under 10 points. Yeah. And as our respective September's have proven, they were always the pretenders, we're the contenders. And but for some knife edge results, it should have been us contending for a week off in the qualifying finals of the first week.
0: That's a great
1: call. We do only have ourselves to blame for that, though.
0: No, we definitely. do. We do, yeah. but,
1: you know... I know what you're saying, though.
0: Well, the Geelong era, I think, is uh, is definitely over. It's over. Thank God for that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well,
1: months are long enough. Hopefully ours can go for as long, if not longer. Mm, That'd be lovely. That's it.
0: Well, Rick, your uh, love and possibly second love?
1: <laughs> I... Uh, I love winning, Macca. I reckon reckon it's fantastic. And uh, after the misery we went through in 11-12, what these boys have been able to do is just uh, ginormous. They've got so much courage. Um, They play with so much heart, so much unity um, as a team. Um, And even the Maggies uh, coming through today as well uh, as a Port supporter all the way back from the early 80s. Um, You know, winning was in our blood and uh, it's great to to see our team winning and becoming maybe perhaps a a dominant force again. And uh, I've got to say, when I'll throw in there as well, that I love Buddy uh, O'Shea's beard. What a beard. Isn't that a fantastic beard? It's a good beard. It is. It's a manly beard. And I love the fact that he goes with that manly beard is the the expressionless manly actions as well. Mm. Gives up the goal. No reaction. No. Does something good, no reaction. He's the man's <laughs> man of Porto Football Club.
0: He's filthy sexy, Camo O'Shea. He is
1: filthy sexy. He's getting a
0: touch weird now,
2: boys. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but I've just, I've just got to say, just on the O'Shea love, my favourite O'Shea moment was when Walters dived in front of him for that contentious ball when Frio with, I think, 12 points up in the last quarter. Mm. and Walters completely dived like a base runner sliding into home in front of him to try and milk the free kick. O'Shea with momentum has fallen on top of him, and every moron from Brian Taylor to Richo to half of the big footy board who I went back and looked at the game day thread on the main board all said that it should have been a free kick. I mean,
1: what what game do these people watch? Mm. Well, he, yeah, that's exactly right. Walters did dive, and he initiated the contact. And he
2: completely, he, he completely fell across his line. Like, what was O'Shea
1: And he pulled to him do? down
0: on top of him. Exactly. I mean, yeah. feel, what
1: do you do? Yeah. that's why I it saw, wasn't a I free saw that. I was with it, and the umpire did well to call it.
2: Mm. So, good decision. I'm cool. going to say Brett Rosebury. I don't know what umpire it was, but I'm going to say Brett Rosebury.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it.
1: But I have. I hate. want
0: that goal umpire with the moustache from the '90s to come back.
1: Oh, yes.
0: He was gold. Yes.
1: The third Mario brother. He the was older,
0: just... The trench coat, the top hat, and the moustache. It was fantastic.
1: He was amazing. You know, and, and another love is that holding the ball the umpires did with Mzungu with Robbie Gray, uh, where Robbie ended up having the, the two shots on goal, controversially, because so much of the year they haven't paid that as holding the ball when it's a blatant holding the ball. So it was yeah. fantastic to see the umpires actually reward Uh, a fantastic tackle and actually call something holding the ball, even if it wasn't in the goal. So yeah. Another, I'll chuck in another love there. Um, I guess my two hates. uh, are. Two hates? Yeah, I got two hates. Goodness. Uh, The bouncing of the ball. What's going on with Perth? Because we struggled to bounce the ball (laughs) over there. Pittard had a horrendous one in round 23 where it bounced behind him and resulted in a goal. And this week he was struggling, but everyone was struggling to bounce the ball. So I don't know. If it, if they've got a different grass over there or, or whatever else, but uh, it was pull- I was pulling my hair out the fact that we were we couldn't bounce this bloody ball properly. And the other one is uh, I just I was getting a bit frustrated today with the supporters all banging on about uh, O'Shea. I thought he had a great second half or a solid second half, but he uh, he was pretty woeful in the in the first half. And I thought Chris McDermott sum- summarized it well today, which I hate to admit um, he did look overawed and uh, but he. The positive was that he was able to come back from such a bad half and uh, and deliver in a, in a magnificent way in the second. So uh, it's only a little bit of a hate. But I think as supporters, maybe we need to look at a little bit more objectively over the full game and uh, and just watch a full performance. But he'll learn from that.
0: Yeah, there's a number of players that looked probably overawed in that first half and, and then came good. Um, I'm sure we'll uh, touch on that a little bit later on. Absolutely. Um, Look, my love this week is that you can just never ride off Port Adelaide. You know, it's, it was a mantra that rang true for so many decades there. I think we lost our way a little bit over the last 10 years during the, the sort of latter-day Choco period and the uh, the Matty Primus era um, where we just found all these different ways to lose games um, from <laughs> nearly un, unlosable positions, you would think. Um, but, you know, the belief in this playing group is just through the roof at the moment. Um, I'm sure many... Probably had a a bit of a, you know, a bit of a a query over the we will never ever give up um, tagline from last Mm preseason and whether we would actually follow through with it. But they actually have, you know, with the number of comeback victories they had last year. And the same rings true this year as well. They just don't give up, which is fantastic. Even when we lose, we go for 100% of the game. You know, we'll we'll talk about it a bit more. But I thought we were cooked when Schulze missed that sitter in the second quarter. I thought we looked absolutely shocked um You know, it's probably been about twenty years, um, almost to the days the last time I rode off Port Adelaide in a big game uh, in the old '94 Grand Final, and I don't think I'll be making that mistake again for another twenty years.
1: <laughs> it was a great mantra. That uh, was it, kosh that came up with it, or Hinkley himself. But um, uh, that mantra was very inspirational, I guess, back then, and it's flowed through. And so it was a. Uh, a great bit of uh, psychology for the footy club and probably what their players needed because we were coming back from a long way where we were giving up. And, uh, you know, and they've just followed his lead to a T and, like you said, they just don't give up anymore, which is uh, which is great. At least we know if we're watching our team, they're going to fight it out to the end, no matter what Absolutely. the score
2: is. Definitely. Well, it's uh, it, typifies, it typifies the Port Adelaide ethos, doesn't it? Like when Carlson yeah. looked like they were going to make a run, and they had Chris Jard. You know, their their tag was, "Well, they know we're coming." And it's like, well, hang on a minute. Define that. If you don't, if you don't win a flag, if you don't make a prelim, what has your message been about? Whereas with the "We will never give up," I mean, that absolutely personifies what Port Adelaide's all about. Yep. You know, we we might be outgunned, we might be undergunned, we might be. You know, going to Geelong to face Geelong at Kidney Park, which is an impossible ask, but you know what? We'll give 100%. And if we get beaten by three, four, five, six goals, we're going to keep going to the end. That's all you can ask for.
0: And uh, if I was to choose a hate, it would be not being there. It's the only thing I can come up with this week. It's been great to have been there.
2: Or at least have the ability to watch the television like
0: a man. So.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sick burn.
0: <laughs>
1: well what are you going to do uh, next week? I deserve. It.
0: I can handle it when I'm at a game because I can sort of shout and scream and you know it feels like I'm doing something about it, but when I'm just in front of the TV, you know I'm hopeless. It's awful. So
1: how many <laughs> how many supporters do you guys reckon will make the journey over this week?
0: Hopefully 15, uh, 15 to 17. Yep.
1: That would be, be amazing.
0: Awesome. That would be awesome. We got the power to win. All right, well, let's get on to the review. It was one for the ages. It was Port Adelaide versus Fremantle, the semi-final at Subiaco. We were down by 31 points during that second quarter. We kicked 12 goals to five after halftime and won by 22 points. Uh, it was 15-15 to 11 goals, 17. Robbie Gray and Chatty Wingard, the Stars, with four goals each, and Ollie Wines with three goals as well were the multiple goal kickers. Um, I said the question last week, um, where that first quarter sat in Port's history. Um, I've got the same question tonight. Where does this victory um, sit in Port Adelaide's fantastic history?
1: It has to be right up there, mate. I mean, you know, I think for the age demographic of the team, uh, so their maturity level, going to, uh, if we call our place a fortress, I guess theirs would be a... A fortress, so theirs would be a fortress in a way because what well, they were 27 or 28 games or or whatever it was, something stupid, 21 or 22. Um, yeah. you know, so I mean, and they're a fantastic side for you, no doubt about it. They've got a great midfield. Sand Lance is a mammoth in the ruck, and uh, for us to be able to run over the top of them on their home turf and do it so convincingly is uh, would have to be right up there and almost as good a win as uh. Well, better win than what we did in the last game against Geelong in 07, I reckon.
2: Yeah, I, I hate to hark back to uh, history, but you remember those sorts of finals where, like, we had Brisbane at the Gabba in 01 and Brisbane at the Gabba again in... Uh, no, we didn't. We had Collingwood at the MCG in 03. and you just thought we're not gonna, we're not gonna be able to win this these games. It just felt like it was an impossible mm. ask, and. Yep. Whether it was mindset, whether it was not taking chances, whether it was running out of steam, we just, we, we, you just, you just felt like as the game wore on, we were no chance, but, you know, I mean, uh, admittedly the mood where I was watching was quite maudlin and, uh, you know, disappointed, but at the end of the day, they're only four goals up and as much as being four goals down to Frio feels like maybe eight or nine against any other side, um, it was only four goals. And all it took was to get, you know, Robbie Gray with that early goal in the third quarter and then we got the run on and we were right back in it. And, uh, you know, gee, just to know that this side has it in them in terms of heart, in terms of running out games compared to the Falloon era where we were looking gassed about halfway through the second quarter... um, the ability to have clutch moments, like Gray, whose set shot kicking is maligned, for him to for him to drill that goal after getting hit in the head by Dawson and not getting a fifty despite him being reported, I mean, for him to turn around and drill that and really pump up the side, and then for Wingard to have his moments, it's just it's one of those moments where you can just sit back and actually go, wow, you know, we're not a side that is getting a bit fortunate or we're, we're playing We're playing ourselves into some good form. We are actually a genuinely good side who is capable of winning no matter what the time, what the occasion, or who the opponent is. We're going to turn up, we're going to play, and we're going to be a damn good shot of beating anyone.
0: Yep, absolutely. For me, that was probably our best AFL victory, in my opinion, and I'd have it in probably the top three since I've been alive. Um along with the 94 grand final and the uh, the 1988 uh, Nord match at the parade just after Anthony Williams passed, where we were five goals down and looking out of it and then uh, then stormed home in the last quarter.
1: How old were you that day, Macca? Uh,
0: I would have been six years old.
1: You do your research, don't you? And I remember Ooh.
0: it like it was yesterday. It was fantastic. He a- Bloody hell. He
2: actually played Chichi the Black and the White on a Melody Pop. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Melody Pop. That is no, gold. That's... I used to love them. They yeah. were fantastic. So you know, what a sweet win, literally. So stick your chuppa chup up your ass. I've got a melody pop. <laughs> well, look, I want to talk about the first half for a bit. Um, we'll split it up into the two halves because it was quite a quite an interesting game. Um, how were you feeling um, throughout that first half there?
1: Disgusted. Um, Disgusted. We- Oh, it, was, it was pretty bad. We were pretty woeful. Mm. And we only had ourselves to blame, uh, as you saw from my barrage of frustrated te- text messages throughout that first half. Um, yeah, yeah we, we really didn't react well uh, to the Sanderlands domination. Um, you know, our setups around the midfield were, uh, weren't there, really, to be honest. And, I mean, David King on the uh, Foxdale broadcast before the start was saying, you know, you can't beat Sandlands in the taps, which is pretty much true. You know, and so he knows sixty-eight times or something in the, this year, he's just gone straight to Fife, But we just let Fife do it, whatever he wanted around the the pack situation. We didn't, uh, we didn't have seem to have a defensive sweeper around the t- uh, the pack in that first half either, um, which allowed them just to run onto a, an open ball and and then give uh, free delivery and execution away from the pack, which was really frustrating. Um, but I was proud of the defensive group as a whole, because I thought with the barrage that they were under, um, they really stood up and really at least pressured the Frio players into uh, having uh, you know a bit more uh, disappointing set shots at, or shots at goal overall, I guess. And the defensive group really stood up under that pressure.
0: Yeah, you're right. Look, if we had have lost this game, I think I would have called this podcast a suffocation, because and we continued on from that first half. You know, I just thought we got completely choked by Fremantle's pressure um, in that first half. And the most disappointing part to me was just how timid we were. Um, it was almost to the point of being soft, especially at the, so- at the stoppages. You know, everyone was literally just hanging back, waiting for someone else to go and try and do something. And it was really left up to guys like Boak and Hartlett, um, who were really the only people sort of hunting um, hunting the clearance in that first half.
2: Yeah, I mean, every stoppage felt like an all-black scrum feed, didn't it? Yeah. Like, it was – Fremantle, no matter whether – there was a a couple of times where Sandilands didn't even have to win the tap. It kind of got bottled up, and then for some reason, the ball would squirt out five or six metres, and Sandilands would bend down, pick it up, and get the kick away or the handball away. And you kind of of thought to yourself, uh, where is everyone? You know, what Mm -hmm. what are we doing with our setups, our endeavour, our positioning? It was just atrocious, but – you know, yeah. I honestly don't know what would have happened had Fremantle even slightly kicked better. It, it felt like one of those avalanches that we just weren't going to
0: survive. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, think... no, you're right. I mean, we could have easily found ourselves, you know, seven, eight, nine goals down. Oh, easily. Like that. Easily.
1: But I think you, you mentioned a name there who I thought was magnificent in that first half for us um, was Hamish Hartlett. I thought that he played a fantastic first half. You could see that he just didn't stop trying. He was putting his body in the, in the line and uh, trying to distribute the ball as best he could under immense pressure. And uh, he really stood up under that pressure. And Chad Wingard, I, I thought, was the other one that was you could see was vigorously uh, trying to compete uh, against the odds. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I know people were very critical of Jakey Need in the first half, but yeah, I think there wasn't too much we could do. I made... I was having a chat with Piston on the uh, on the forum today, and really, we just didn't have a functional half forward line, which was killing no, us. Yeah, right.
0: Yeah, we just got completely lost across half forward. This spare man was um, was just tearing us to pieces in Mzungu. The same thing happened um, at Adelaide Oval earlier this year, um, and the worst part as well was just that we couldn't get the ball out of their defensive zone um, from the kick-ins. I mean, it was just this never-ending cycle of you know them just having pot shots at goal missing. Um, and us trying to find a target, kicking in, not hitting a target, them having a shot, missing, you know, cycle and repeat. It was terrible.
2: It was almost as if we reverted to 2012 ball, where we had no idea how to get it out of our back line. There seemed to be no run. There seemed to be no options. And then when we did, by some miracle, get it past the half back line, we would win a stoppage on the wing or in the midfield, and you'd think, oh, great, here's our chance and only to five seconds later kick it down the throat of a Fremantle player 30 metres yeah. in the clear, and you'd think to yourself, hang on a minute, what is going on here? It was almost as if everything that we'd built toward had just completely
0: evaporated and disappeared. Yep, yeah. It was certainly all systems breakdown in that first time. What's
1: the, um, what's the boxing uh, terminology where you just sort of keep taking the hits and hoping the opposition tire out? Is it is it rope-a-dope? rope dope so, yeah, rope it open. I think five minutes um, before the uh, halftime break, I started to get a, a sense that um, you could see a bit of a momentum shift in the game. And so even though we didn't really aggressively impact the scoreboard, we started to, to settle a little bit and we'd taken a lot of Fremantle's hits. And, uh, and it sort of gave me a little glimmer of hope that if we came out with a bit of run um after half time we still might be a chance because they didn't take their opportunities and i was sort of getting a bit sick of listening to the football radio because as we win and move into a preliminary final what else do you do the day after just listen to every sport show possible so you can hear all the glory and i was mm. i was just getting a bit frustrated that it was all about frio not taking their chances well you know what maybe our pressure sort of caused them not to take all their tra- chances and uh, and then we were able to take advantage of the momentum shift when it came our way. We'll
0: talk about the second half and the, and the turning point. And I do agree that um, that last five-minute period in that second quarter, um, it did look like Fremantle was starting to tire a little bit. The game really opened up. We were starting to get our run going. And I did get a text from you, Rick, saying um, we are starting to open the game now. free was slowing. And, and I did think that was very true. Um Though after Robbie's uh, third or fourth goal, I did get a text from you saying that you were fapping in the toilet as well. So, I don't know. Your texts were very interesting last night.
1: Mm. I was getting a bit excited there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you could really sense in that last four or five minutes of the second quarter that the game did open up. And, you know, Chatty Wingard's goal um, at the death there was just so important for their confidence and momentum, I thought.
1: Absolutely. I... um... You you could just see it opening. We're starting to get a couple of clearances. Um, Frio was starting to lose their legs. And if we're using this as a segue into uh, the second half, um, as I was saying to you off-air earlier, um, Peter Road said on uh, 5AA today that, uh, you know, they knew that Frio had used a lot of their interchanges early, which they thought that would be to our advantage. And so obviously Frio really threw everything at us in that first half and and early into the third. And we were able to take the hits and weather the storm. And you could just see as that third quarter progressed, we were looking more and more fresher over the the Fremantle players. And we were able to take advantage of it. And as you guys pointed out a little bit earlier with Robbie Gray's set shot kicking, I mean, I've been pretty critical of him only because he's such a good player this year. And it was magnificent. And And as you pointed out, Triby, that that goal he kicked after Zach Dawson basically punched him in the head. And, uh, you know, that was magnificent to be able to get up and do that. And, uh, yeah, it was great just to see that momentum shift. And I thought Ollie Wines at the start set the standard of that third quarter with the, with that contest against Fife, and really just, you know, used his body and his size and just went, you know what, I'm not taking that from you. And, uh, and really fought hard for that ball. And and then Brody uh, started influencing early in the third as well. And, uh, that really set the standard for us.
0: Look, we yeah. spoke last week um, about a couple of the key moments, um, you know, in Port Adelaide Football Club, uh, Football Club folklore in a Bokes match um, and also that first quarter. But where does Ollie Wine's game now sit in Port Adelaide folklore? That was up there with one of the most important finals games I've seen from a Port player. Oh, it was!
2: it was absolutely towards the very top. I mean, I, I think I tweeted out about four times. Ollie Wines is only nineteen. You know, Ollie Wines is only nineteen. This this kid, who's still a teenager, that and Rick touched on it before. That that first moment leading up to the first bounce of the third quarter, when Hinkley's obviously sent Wines to Fife and said, "Righto, you're going to go up to pound for pound, probably the best player in the competition in that Fife." And there was that slow motion replay of that first clearance where. In the lead up to it, Ollie and Fife were wrestling and they were jostling and they were jostling and they were jostling. And then Ollie Wines and Fife went at the ball and it was Ollie Wines who won it and dished it out to Broadbent for the clearance. Yep. And I and I thought if there was going to be mm-hmm. one moment that could typify how that second half was going to go, that was a pretty big signal. But all in all, wow, to get this kid with pick seven is the sort of fast track towards a premiership that every club needs. This is, this is akin to everybody passing on Joel Selwood and the Cats picking up Selwood at seven in 2006. Mm. Yep. You know, for, for Melbourne, who needed midfield talent to go for Tumpus, I think that is going to be up there with Tambling and Franklin. Very early days, very early days, but clearly Ollie Wines
0: is an elite beast as of right now.
2: And the kid's not even 20.
0: It's a baffling decision by Melbourne, especially considering he's best mates with... Um... Uh, with Viney. Yeah. And you Mm -hmm. would think it's just the most obvious decision you would ever make is to get the two best mates together at the same club. To be bash brothers. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, their losses are gain. Absolutely. That was, how good is he in big games? Ollie Wines. As a first year player last year, his Collingwood final was as good as anyone else's on that, on that park last year. He was fantastic last week and he was best on ground tonight. This kid is something special.
1: You have to take me back to the 90s, I reckon, when we had a, a young Simon Tregenza influence footy games or a young Gavin Wanganeen or a young Nathan Buckley. You know, those that played for Port Adelaide and, and really at such a young age were able to exert an influence in the competition. Um, you know, he's, he is just a beast of a competitor and uh, a brute of a man and it's just amazing... Uh, uh, what he's going to be able to achieve, and I mean, we we keep forgetting too, I guess, um, or I do, that Fife. All credit to him as well. He's only twenty two, and he's a fantastic player. So yeah. well, both clubs are uh, are very lucky to have those sort of players in their system. But you know, uh, all the stats that have been put on the on the forum over the last couple of days about Ollie Wines and and where he sits. I mean, he sits with all the big names at this point in time.
0: Although it, it's incredible, and to be honest pretty damn insulting that Ollie doesn't get the credit that he really deserves in the AFL
2: it just, it happened again today there was a there was a AFL team under 23 all Australian team put up by the AFL website that, mm. that was compiled by all their reporters of AFL media and Ollie Wines didn't even make the bench on that
0: I'm yeah, not sure what he has to do, do because I, he's he's not a player that sort of bobs up here and there he has had a fantastic season
1: you know you what know, it is? It's, like, it's poor journalism. Hmm. It's a, it's not a blight on Ollie Wine. There's a blight on the journalists that, that don't even reckon, don't even assess a full competition and they just look insular. I mean, wasn't one of the journalists Guthrie, which is the brother of the Guthrie from Geelong? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: and Cam Guthrie gets in.
2: Unbelievable. Yeah. And, and Cameron and Cameron Sutcliffe gets in ahead of Jack Honch. Hmm. If any other young star was having the sort of year that Ollie Wines was having, they would be anointed as some sort of future demigod, if not a present demigod, and that would also give them opportunities in terms of sponsorship and media exposure and all the rest of it. Instead, Ollie Wines is being rated below guys who, yeah, they're promising, and yeah, they've had a good season here and there, but... Come on. I mean, two years in a row, Ollie Wines has absolutely stepped up and been a star at the pointy end of the season as a teenager. Yep.
1: And there's the guys, I mean, David
2: Swallow. David Swallow is going to be an excellent player. That much is not up for debate. Jackson McRae is a supremely silky-skilled player. But even Jackson McRae was, if he wasn't dropped, I think he was dropped to the subs bench by McCartney because he wasn't working hard enough the other way. Yep. Well, that's not that's, that's right. not a problem with Ollie Wines. I mean, Ollie Wines no. is a beast two ways, you know? Mm. Oh, I
1: don't know. And it's, Unbelievable. it's I mean, I love the words that are coming out of his mouth with the tightness that he has with the playing group. You know, I mean, everyone, it's amazing, like, a couple of years ago before everyone bonded and, and said, look, we're going to stay for the long haul. Um, you know, I, I lived in fear every day on the forum. Oh, shit, buddy, here we go. Who's going to go now? And, you know, there's always the rumours of someone going. But at this point in time, you know, even if his great mates would viney and he he loves Victoria or whatever. I, I just don't don't see it in his body language or, or the way he talks about his teammates that he's that type of player that, that's going to leave.
2: Yeah. I mean, I remember back at the Port Club after we got beaten by, I think, 800 points by the Adelaide Rams. You know, I was... Uh, I spoke to Jackson Trengove. This was back when, you know, Trengove was unsigned, Lobi was unsigned, Butcher was unsigned. Pretty much our entire side was unsigned. And I said to him, Jackson, you know, like, you know I mean, let's, not be, let's not be daft. I and mean, He's not going to tell me as a supporter at the club. But mm. I said to him, you know, Jackson, are you, are, you, are you thinking about staying? Would you like to stay? And Jackson just looked me straight in the eye and said, it's probably 50-50 at this point. Like, these guys, for whatever reason, were genuinely looking at the exit door. And the only thing keeping them there was each other. Yeah. And this is why we have this tremendous bond and this tremendous culture. I mean, Monfries has come into it from Essendon as a mature age player. And he, you know, when he's seeing the song or when he's clowning about with the guys or you see him in the Twitter feeds when they go for a meal or they go... I mean, they just embrace everybody wholeheartedly and they're all best mates, you know? Yep. Nothing can, nothing can break this group up. They've got a sole mission to clearly all, you know, run together and get this premiership
0: that they so richly deserve.
1: Yep. So what did you boys think of Robbie Gray's third quarter?
0: Fantastic. I mean... Before was it his I best told... quarter of the year? Oh, look, probably, yeah, yeah. You would you would have to think so on the on the occasion that it was. Um, the importance of the game um, for him to kick four goals in that quarter was just phenomenal. He was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, there's what more can you say about Robbie Gray? Yeah,
2: he's gone from being this uh, super talented player that. Every, everybody at Port knew that he was going to be big. You could, you could just see by the way he moved. You could see by the way he... Just, just the way he moved on the football field, let alone what he did with the ball or the way he saw options open up in traffic. But to actually see him recover from the knee injury and just put this season together and show the rest of the country what he's capable of, I mean, it's, it's beautiful. You, you see... You hear supporters of other clubs now r- responding and saying, he is a reason why I watch football. And that is just rich reward for this kid who, you know, what was part of why he got drafted with pick 60 or whatever it was, because Choco found out that he was working as a meat packer eight hours, you know, like he was getting up at four in the morning to work in a, in a cold storage locker, you know, packing meat or something. I mean, to, to go from that to being one of the genuine Rolls Royces of the competition is just such a romantic story. And, you know, it's, he's our boy.
0: He is. So how... We've spoken about him so much on the podcast this year, oh. just how good he has been. And the great thing about him is that you throw him in the midfield and he is an absolute elite clearance king. You throw him up forward and you know he's going to kick goals every single week.
1: And the defenders now shit their pants when they have to uh, stand <laughs> him one-on-one, don't they? Because you, you can't you tackle know?
0: him. Nah. You can't tackle him. He's so good overhead. He's a fantastic contested mark for his size. He's, he's got it all. He's as good as any player in the competition. Well, look, I um, want to talk a... about, sorry for cutting you off, but I do want to <laughs> talk about Hinkley because I thought this was one of the absolute best coaches' performances of all time. You know, on the forum, all the bloody, you know, he can't coach, no plan B sort of naysayers, and they were absolutely shot down in flames <laughs> last night. You know the moves he won. Uh, the, sorry, the moves he made in that third quarter absolutely won us the game, and I want to go through them because he moved Ole on onto five. That was incredibly crucial, as we have already spoken about. He moved Trengove to centre half forward, and whilst Trengove didn't have a big game, I thought his uh, his ability to compete and the structure he provided up forward was fantastic. He threw Wingard to the wing. That was crucial. Gray went from the midfield to full forward. That was crucial. Broadbent went from sort of hanging back in the defensive 50 to being this really attacking center halfback. Ebert went to Mzungu who was killing us and Kane went to Mundy. They are just absolute first class moves right there.
2: Have you got your own homemade magnet board using a fridge door or something? Because that was staring. I do. <laughs> <laughs> but in all, in all seriousness, it was a masterclass and to do it against Ross Lyon, who for all the naysayers who say he's negative and all the rest of it, he clearly knows how to coach a football side and to absolutely unlock another team's game plan and for Hinkley to respond to that. I mean, what more could you have asked? We've we've made mention of previous coaches who probably, when faced with with a first half like that, probably didn't make the moves that they should have or made the entirely wrong moves, but...
0: In Hinckley's case, he just every rein he pulled was the right one that um, oh, right. was just so simple. Was that mm. he just threw the big bodied midfielders around the ball at the stoppages? You know, every mm. stoppage in that second half, we had Wines, Hartlett, Boke and Moore in there. There mm, are yeah. four biggest midfielders. So simple.
1: And Moore had some criticism uh, a fair few times this year. And I thought he's when he came on around that midfield stoppage, he. If he, if he didn't do anything other than at least congest the, congest the ball so it couldn't get out, uh, I thought he was very influential in, the, uh, in that second half and, and helping us uh, get the victory last night.
0: Yeah, it was one that, uh, that was noticeable on the rewatch. watch um, I watched it uh, a second time last night. And first time around, I thought more was, you know, he was okay, he just didn't get involved enough. But on the rewatch you saw all the little things that he did and they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. How,
1: just, how did you – so cool. sorry, sorry Troy, I was just going to say no. you can you can follow on with that with, with the question. I was, I was excited in the last quarter when I saw Wines, Wingard and Andrew Moore in the centre uh, for the ball up. That was our future there.
2: Yeah, I mean, Moore was just so important in terms of which other club, bar your Hawthorns and Sydneys, can bring out a 189 centimetre player in Andrew Moore who's got a body as big as he's got who can run hard, but he's also got that ability to keep his feet in stoppages and get out quick handballs. And well, the, the underrated moment where I think it was the uh, stoppage win and quick kick that ended up being that screamer by the Fremantle defender in between White and Westhoff. Who was that? Was that Sutcliffe or one of their defenders took that huge mark? But... He's-
0: Duffield or someone like D- that.
2: Duffy, it was Duffield. But in, in terms of the... That's going to be a great meme, me yelling out Duffield. Um, <laughs> but uh, in terms of the way he quickly, you know, he bulleted for the ball. He got it and just had the presence of mind to chip it up. He didn't put it too far towards the goal so that it could be easily rushed through. He put it right to that dangerous hotspot. And although Duffield had to take one of the marks of the year to prevent a scoring opportunity... I just thought these are the little things that Andrew Moore, as fifth, sixth, seventh rotation, can bring to the table. And I'm not sure many other teams can say that they bat
1: that deep. No, that's true.
0: No, it's true. What do you think, Rick? What were what, your what, thoughts what thought, on uh, on what won us the game in the second half?
1: Uh, well, I thought um, I thought Loby actually had more influence in the second half, especially against um, Clark, uh, which we had a little text conversation about. Uh, trying to maybe uh, rest Lobey against Sandy and, uh, and try and expose him against Clark, which allowed us to uh, uh, you know, win a bit more clearance. But we just seemed to have more grunt uh, at the clearances. Uh, we just we really went in a bit harder. And, and as you said before, we, we seemed to be observing in the first half. And in the second half, it was like, well, shit, we've got to get the ball out of here. And I thought uh, Matty Broadbent was very influential in that third quarter um, in his sweeping role and uh, creating that wave or run uh, for us, um, you know, he really the half back line really pushed up harder, and and as you said, uh, with Jacko Trangove uh, moving to the forward lines, it gave us that half forward line uh, structure for delivery as well. But it was quite noticeable that we were able to break the game open a little bit wider um, and allow our boys to to run in those waves. Uh, getting Jasper uh, from the fence, bouncing the ball with pleasure, which was, uh, which was a great thing to watch, uh, even though we can't bounce it. And, and I thought Travis Boak was fantastic. He really stepped it up in that second half and, and just kept working against um, Crowley. And uh, I apologise to the poster who put it on the forum today, but I thought it was a great observation uh, with Travis. You know, He really just blew uh, Crowley up and, uh, you know, just made him run, run, run until, you know, Crowley was gone and, and that's how you got to beat Crowley. Um, you know, he's a great tagger and you just got to keep running that guy until uh, he can't keep up and that's what Gary Ablett does and, mm. uh, you know, those little things made a difference and I, didn't, I couldn't really notice the, the structural uh, aspects around stoppages. I was probably caught up too much in the moment and then when I, I watched the replay I was... Knackered, but I just wanted to watch it again because I was just caught up with the excitement. I didn't worry about watching the first half, I just went straight to the uh, the second half. But yeah, I didn't. I thought Matty Broadbent couldn't be uh, underestimating that third quarter for what he did for us. He was huge. And Look, Camo Shay. And,
0: uh, and Camo Shay, yeah. Bokey and Need were two players that I think literally didn't have a kick to half time. And just their work rate after half time was fantastic. I mean, Travis Boke was just. Um, an absolute masterclass of persistence, of just sticking to your task, um, doing what you do best, and knowing that at some point you're going to get on top. And he did, which was fantastic. And Jakey Knee, for someone that looked absolutely shot at halftime, his second—sorry, uh, his third quarter was absolutely crucial to us getting uh, back into the game.
2: Yeah, I mean that uh, lead up to Wingard's snap on the left, where hmm. he was absolutely out positioned. He was up against a guy who looked about five times the size of him on a scaffold and for him to stand there, hold him off, wait until the cavalry arrived. And then was it he who flicked it out to the guy who handled, I think Schultz handled it out to Wingard, yeah.
1: yeah. but Neat
2: yeah. nee initially kind of won that contest. So Schultz could get there. I mean, that is the sort of small forward play that we've plainly lacked for yeah. however long, you know, just that, just that bullocking, hard running, even when he wasn't getting a touch, he just he just seemed to just keep on working until eventually He's
0: the master of the toe poke. Oh, frankly, he is of yeah. just getting the most important little he touch, is. which frees the ball up um, into one of our teammates' uh, sort of possessions. It's fantastic.
1: I loved his run down the wing where he just kicked, kept kicking the ball off the ground. And yep. made us over 100 metres, you know. And, and sometimes not enough players do that these days and they just try to pick it up. And, you know, he just ran his guts out and he had a freeo player right on his clacker, but he just kept, got the ball, kicked it, kicked it and just got it forward. And, you know, sometimes, I mean, that's the catch cry our finals footy, isn't it? Just get that ball moving and get it forward. And it doesn't matter how you do it, just keep getting that ball forward. And, you know, and that's, he was fantastic. And Matty White was the other one, wasn't he? He just backed himself yeah. in. Got that hit to the face and got up and kept going and was so courageous. And, you know, every time he got the ball, he just ran his guts out and didn't care who was on him. And, I mean, he burnt Pierce off. He was very unlucky with that um, travel, uh, travel call by the umpire. But, uh, you know, the amount of times he just grabbed the ball and ran, um, you know, that's what we needed. That was the spark we were looking for.
0: Matty White, I mean, that's something that's going to go down in Port Adelaide folklore as well. He played with a fractured jaw. Copped a big hit to the face. Kept going. Kicked one of the absolute goals of the evening. I mean, that's Michael Wilson-esque. This is a guy Hmm. at Richmond who I really did not rate at all. I thought he was an absolute spud. He's come here and has just had an absolutely huge season and has just won over every Port Adelaide supporter, I would think.
2: I I legitimately didn't know he existed before he turned up at Port Adelaide. Like I thought when people said we'd recruited Matthew White, I thought it was the Sports Tonight guy from the 90s. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, um, I'm like, oh, Matty, why? And then, you know, you don't, you don't want to be exposed for having no knowledge of who this guy is. So you hop online and you're like, oh, Richmond, what a terrible pickup, you know. But, mm. um, yeah, that, and that, that goal that he kicked was pretty much the backbreaker. From that point on, mm. we were never headed and uh, that was the cushion we needed.
1: Did you guys think that Lobi stepped it up against Sandlands in the, in the second half?
0: No doubt. He- I don't know if it was uh, midfield structures that changed around a little bit or the fact that we had all those big bodies around the bowl at the stoppages again. But he certainly wasn't winning a lot of hit-outs, but every time he won one, it went straight down our throat. And that was what we needed. That's what we didn't get in round 23. Um, and that was one of Lobe's best ever games, I thought.
1: Mm. You've
0: got to wonder just how good Lobie could
2: be if he got a genuine chop-out. Like, imagine if Redden was fit or if Renoff was fit to be able to... Even just to give him a rest. for like, Say, say the Carlton game, for instance. If we hadn't had the luxury to go, all right, we're, we're pretty confident winning this game. Lobie's a bit banged up. We'll either play Renoff and Lobie 50-50 or we'll even sit Lobie out for the week and, you know, have Renoff just breaking even because we know we're going to blow Carlton off the park. I mean, for Lobie to be rocking the bulk of each and every game down this back nine of the season... And, and still coming up against Sandy at Subiaco, and he just kept on chopping away. Uh, You've you just got to admire the heart. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't able to win every tap, but as you say, when he did, he was just so precise, and it absolutely gave our midfield the kickstart it needed.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: The one last player I want to bring up, which I, you know, who was influential the whole game, um, was Chad Wingard. I mean, the goals that he kicked were clutch goals, and yeah. uh, his influence around the ground uh, was noticeable as well. So he was he's back it to his all-Australian form. He had that two-month slumber uh, in the middle part of the year, but he's back with a vengeance now, isn't he?
0: Absolutely. I don't call him clutch Win god for no reason. He is <laughs> no. as big a big-game player as you can get in the AFL at the moment. I mean, he talks it up, and he delivers.
1: He knows where the goals are. It's amazing. He does. It's a freak freakish.
0: And and for all the talk that he's had a poor year, he's oh. stu- still kicked 42 goals. Last year he kicked 43 goals. He's still got one more game to go. He's had more goal assists this year. He certainly hasn't had the amount of the ball that he got last year, but he's been playing pretty much out of full forward for the last three months of the season. Mm. He's, at, he's, had a, he's had a good season. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Oh, of course he has.
0: People talk like he hasn't had a kick for three months, but you know he's his last month has been fantastic.
2: <laughs> he's clearly suffered from the standards that he set in what was just his second year. But as mm. you say, in terms of the numbers that he's actually registered and the just the consequence of moments that he's been able to produce and conjure, he's quite clearly a match winner. And as relatively quiet as he was during that down patch when everybody in the team seemed to be down, um, oh, he, he could just turn the, turn the game... On a knife edge, and it's sort as if he kind of he kind of flukes a goal or uses his skills to kind of shank a goal here and there. That that absolute dagger where he kicked that on his left after needs work. He started that run from half back. Yeah, so he ran one hundred and fifty <laughs> meters. Then he was able to start off the contest, have the poise to put that on his boot, not blaze away, but absolutely surgically put it through on the angle. You know. As Tim Watson said after the second showdown last year, "Kids are freak." So, mm.
1: well,
0: let's talk about our best players. Triby, who was your top five, mate?
2: Uh, do we have to limit it? Um, no, nah, not really. I, you know, in previous weeks, I've actually jotted down a list, but this, I mean, this time, it's just a generalized word cloud. Pittard, Wines, Hartlett, I mean, Gray. We've pretty much covered them all. I mean, um. The one thing I will say is that you know, other other really great teams have had a bunch of players. When you think about West Coast in 92 or 94, they just seem to all have these gun players who all perform at once. So they had, you know, Main Waring and Matera and they had their awesome defense of McKenna and worstfold and McIntosh and Brennan. This is the sort of side that we're building where... We're not relying on, say, I mean, even in the 2004 era, we, we, we were an excellent side, but if Treadray didn't perform or if Peter Burgoyne had a down day or if Wakeland got skinned, we were in a bit of trouble, you know? Whereas this 2014 vintage, it just seems like everybody is just, when they're on, they just play at a level where other teams just can't compete, yeah. you know? I mean, Schultz, Schultz was held to what? One, one goal right at the end. Now, if you'd have have said to me at the start of the game that Zach Dawson would ostensibly hold Jay Schultz to one goal, you'd be like, oh, God, you know, how much have we lost by? But but for us as a team to keep 15-15, I think it was at the end, um, you know, with Schultz kicking one, I mean, this is just beyond our wildest dreams of what this team's capable of.
1: My best. I actually gave Hamish Hartlett best only because I thought his effort was a four-quarter effort. Um, you know, if we went just on second half, I'd, I would have given it to, to Ollie Wines. So, um, but yeah, so I went to uh, Hamish Hartlett and I'm, I'm so impressed at how he's stepped up the last two months. He's, he's really taken it on and it's going to be exciting uh, uh, for 2015. Uh, I gave Ollie Wines uh, second best uh, just because I thought his influence in the middle really drove us the ball into the forward line, which then resulted in uh, Robbie Gray uh, getting the delivery uh, to kick his four goals, who I had as third best, um, Chad Wingard, a uh, great game, influential uh, fourth best I, and then it 's like you know who do you who do you it, pick out of a hat so I gave it to Jasper because he 's a legend and and gave him fifth best on ground, but I mean at least his disposal was fantastic last night and under pressure um, he 's really starting to evolve as a player now and I saw Jt Need after a poor Poor first half, the same as O'Shea. They were great players as well. So, And then the list just goes on. I mean, we didn't even talk about bloody uh, Alapati Carlisle or Jack Jack Holmshaw or, or bloody Jonas before he went off injured. They, they were service not better than serviceable um, and played their role. So it was a great team performance.
0: Absolutely. Look, I had Ollie Wines best on ground, just one of the all-time great Port Adelaide Finals performances. He was huge in the middle, huge up forward with three goals. Well done, Ollie. That was an absolutely fantastic game. Robbie Gray, he's had a big year, and uh, now he's had a huge final to go with that as well. Just changed the game up forward in that third quarter. Uh, Clutch Wing got at his absolute best in a big game once again. Hamish Hartlett helped change the game in the third quarter with some key work at the stoppages. Jasper Pittard was great. Um, And we haven't even mentioned Justin Westhoff's name (laughs) this whole podcast Mm. so far. I thought he was fantastic as well.
2: Well, he was back to his best, wasn't he?
1: Mm.
0: That
2: versatile, plays anywhere.
1: Absolutely. Taking clutch marks. Yep. What about that mark? He's got a habit now of taking those marks where he actually gets pushed or drifts under the ball and uh, arches his back and and throws the hand up and and still able to pull the ball in. He's he's really evolved into a a good player from from where he was in 11-12, where, I don't know, I wanted to bloody lynch him half the time because I just thought he was waltzing around, not even trying. But, um, you know, where he's come to now, all credit to him. He must have worked his ass off over the last couple of years. Mm.
2: But that's the thing with Westhoff, isn't it? It's the frustration that, you know, in, in those dark years when he just seemed to be roaming around and didn't have a defined role and he didn't look confident, And I think he got dropped back to centrals and had that embarrassing uh, moment where John Hinge at Glenelg, who was on the Crows list at the time, I think, you know, pushed him over and then tore his Guernsey off or something and, it, you, you know, Westhoff was 20 centimetres taller than him and 10 kilos heavier and was just allowing allowing himself to get ragdolled by some nobody, you know? Yeah. So, for him, we, we, you know, we knew how talented he was and I think that was where the frustration was and the last couple of years, be it Hinkley, be it Burgess, be it Walsh, be it whoever has gotten a hold of him, he's just been able to unlock he's ne- I mean he's never going to be an aggressive beast but in terms of getting the most of his talent this is what we're now able to do. and I mean have a look at the dividends boys. forward midfield back he's just a phenomenon. <laughs>
0: All right, on to the SANFL, and the Port Adelaide Footy Club is back where it belongs, into Grand Woohoo! Finals once again. The first time for 15 years we are playing off in a Grand Final in the SANFL. We won 13 goals, 12 to 10 goals, 10 against South Adelaide today. It was a 20-point victory. Um, Archie, Summerton, Mitchell, Stewart, and Shaw with uh, two goals each. You little rapper.
1: Right. Are you guys going to go?
0: Uh, if we arrive back in time, I'm certainly planning on going. Yep.
1: Yeah, You'll
0: definitely. Be, definitely. Four it. In
1: the morning or something, fellas. Sorry? You'll just have to leave at four in the morning?
0: Probably, yep.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah it'll be an early one, but uh, we'll definitely be worth it. Look, we were 17 points down at halftime. Um, it looked like a similar story to the Nord game last week where we just didn't look in it at all. Uh, we came out in the third quarter. We kicked six goals, five to three behinds. Um, and this time we were able to hold on um, against South Adelaide, who were charging home um, pretty fast at one point there in the last quarter, but we were able to kick a couple of uh, steadying goals.
1: And who was the player that stood up and generated us to come from behind and get in front?
0: I thought Paul Stewart played quite well.
1: No. Outside of Paul Stewart, a big footy favourite. Kane Mitchell. No. Our man. Peter Carrara.
0: <laughs> Daniel Flynn.
1: Where's Brandon Fellows. Archie. I heard Angus he kicked the game by the scruff of the nut. <laughs> kicked a couple of goals. I'm just ignoring you two now. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I heard a rumour that no, Archie. Brendan
0: Archie was uh, probably my best on ground. Um, he had the best sort of four-quarter game. I thought Paul Stewart was the key in that third quarter that uh, really wrenched us back into the contest. He was amazing. He,
2: he gave it a bit of a pump-up
0: with the goal celebrations too. So he did.
1: Yeah. So was, he play playing, was he playing centre, Paul Stewart?
2: No, he, he was playing across half-forward, I think. Yeah. Mm. But he played – I mean, he – did a bit of rebound from the back. He spent some time in the midfield. He played predominantly across half forward. But as I was saying, you know, he gave the uh, goal celebrations a bit of a pump up so he can put the whole, you know, this player and that player isn't happy with having to play for the Magpies rubbish to bed. Oh, Cause he loved all it.
0: Stoked, mate. they Yeah. All they stoked. Loved it. Look, I thought he had a pretty rotten first half, but his second half was fantastic. Archie was, as we just said, he was awesome. Um, Especially in that third and fourth quarter, I thought he was a a real key in getting us over the line. And Darcy byrne Jones had a fantastic game for a first year player. Um, you know, he's someone that sort of wavered between being really, really good and, and a little bit below average um, throughout the year, as you get with a first year player. But you know, in a big final, in a crucial cutthroat final, he was awesome. I thought across halfback. Hmm.
2: Who were the? Uh... Who were the three travelling emergencies that came back from Perth?
1: It was Mitchell and Young. They were two.
2: Mitchell, Young, and Impy. Okay. Because Impy, I think uh, if the SNFL app was correct, Impy only had two touches to half time.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, that sounds about right.
2: So I don't know whether it was because he had a poorly defined role or whether he was a bit
0: you know
1: tired um, for the trip or It'd be jet lagged. Oh, yeah. that's what I'd be going with Jarman. I'd be saying I'm jet lagged.
0: He was, he was playing sort of in a forward pocket, and, mm. uh, and the ball wasn't really up forward all that all that often.
1: So what about in the rut? Because we were exposed, and I heard Butcher pulled out late before, just like late before the game, uh, or is- right before the game. Um, so Nord exposed our lack of height last week. How did we get away with the lack of height this week against South Adelaide?
0: Well, we got absolutely smacked in the midfield. Like an absolute pasting, <laughs> we we gave up seventy three hitouts to twenty eight, which is Gene. probably the biggest differential of all time. Uh, we lost the clearances. Uh, it was more Brooksby. He had fifty six hitouts on his own, um, <laughs> <That's expensive. laughs> and we only managed what twenty three or something um, as a team. So he he killed us in the middle. Um, and the clearances we lost fifty four to thirty nine. But you know, even despite that. Um, I thought our midfield did a fantastic job, um, and we kept working really, really hard um, to try and shark those hitouts that Brooksby was winning. Um, because a few weeks ago when we played South Adelaide, he dominated and, and we lost quite convincingly, I think. So the same thing happened uh, in the se- uh, second semi-final last week, but you know the midfield really stood up and uh, and made sure that they got the job done this week. In Harvey go. Harvey battled hard in the in the ruck. He he had fifteen hit-outs or so. Um, he tried his ass off.
2: Yeah, he does. He tried, but I mean, he's clearly a key forward being forced mm-hmm. to play an unfamiliar role.
1: Yeah, but credit to me. I was just yeah. about to say it's not fair on him, really, right. that he has to play ruck because uh, he's not a ruckman. Yeah, well, like said, he's a forward that has yep. to play ruck, but I guess. You can't predict injuries and how many you are going to hold on your list? I mean, we are probably yeah. one, possibly too short. But, you know, I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So you just got to do it. But it is, it's a bit unfair on Mitch. What a first-year first year player, no less, as well. Um, I heard Mason Shaw also snagged a pretty good goal too. Mason
0: Shaw was great. His first quarter was fantastic. He kept us in the contest, I thought. And he ended up with a couple of goals and kicked an absolute ripper in the last quarter.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's he looks to be, in terms of his movement and his smarts and his marking power, he looks to be maybe four to six kilos away from being a genuine chance at starting round one next year. Yep. He just... You would, you would think a big pre-season and he's oh, pretty much there. Absolutely. I mean, he's going to put his name forward.
0: He's big, he's strong, he was taking big marks. He's just a fantastic kick of the footy. Um. And the thing I liked about his game was that he kept himself involved for longer periods of time this week. Yep. Which is good.
2: He was... I've noticed he was working up and back a lot more. Yep. So, you know, he took a couple of marks on the wing and then, you know, 30 seconds a minute later, he'd be deep in the pocket. So, that is a really good sign for his progression. Indeed.
0: And some of the guys that were pretty heavily criticised last week um, really stood up and played some very good games. I thought Flinney was fantastic coming out of the back line. Um, and he looked uh, a completely different player from last week. And Campbell Heath had a very, very good game as well.
2: Flinney had one or two moments that you kind of he very much reminded you that he was a Gaelic footballer playing yeah. a foreign game. Yeah. Like when he tried to when he tried to outmark Eddie from behind in the goal square and yes. conceded that soft <laughs> mark. That yes. that was quite humorous like literally there would have been three and four year old kids in the crowd going why didn't you spoil it but um yeah and then I think there was one other moment when he was running out of the back line and it looked like he was trying to kick a drop pump but it went like three meters to himself like it was a failed solo (laughs) it was some weird like he was playing for county mayo against county kildare or something but Mm. no credit to him he didn't drop his head and he kept on growing as the match went on and he had a really big influence with his hard running
0: so how do we feel Port versus Nord in a grand final, the old foes.
1: Great if we win. <laughs>
0: How are we going to Very approach true. it?
1: Need to do better in the midfield. I think they, uh, mm. you know, especially in the rut contest, uh, they really exposed us last game. So, uh, you know, and we we just allowed them to flip that uh, transition uh, around to the other side way too easy. So, we probably need to keep a wider player to, and uh, maybe play a bit more man on man and stop them trying to get that free free player and just go just grind it out, man on man, for a greater period of time of the game.
2: Without wanting to give the no-elf in SANFL uh, conspiracy theorists any oxygen, um, it'll be interesting to see how we do approach it, provided we win the day before. like Let's say we beat Hawthorne. Are we going to have a bunch of players who are going to be hoping to put their name up in, in case of injury and they might not be taking it as hard or...?
1: No, I think they will be going hard. I reckon that's I'll what be, Ken Hinckley would, uh, yeah. would... That'd be a mandate, I reckon. I don't, I don't think he'd pick anyone that w- is going half-hearted. Because you can be guaranteed games.
2: Norwood are going to be swinging. Like, I reckon there's going to be a couple of suspensions coming from this game, what with all the uh, external politics and bullcrap that surrounds the whole Port Adelaide in the reserves sort of thing. Alpha
1: so. well, is a very good this.
0: television show. I was, Oh, Willie. So <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, the boys just can't get sucked into that tribey. I mean, they're smart enough; they're professional footballers, and they know that there could be a potential uh, uh, grand final spot. I mean, this is all hypothetical, of course. So you'd hope that uh, you'd hope that they don't get sucked into that. But uh, I guess we'll we'll soon find out in uh, in seven days' time.
0: I'll let Norwood come out swinging, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> all right boys well. fantastic can't wait for this week Triby. always a pleasure to have you on buddy thanks mate it was awesome
1: yeah it did work well, buddy yes mate gonna be an exciting week on the forums looking forward to it trying to do some work in between the build-up
0: that's it toy is a roman sandal for this one mate
1: <sighs> yes yes Uh, I'm very, very optimistic this week. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I think it's good. I think it's good too. I'm looking forward to the preview on Thursday.
0: That is it. Well, boys, until next time.
1: Go the Power.
0: Go Port Adelaide. Go Macbaz.
1: Go Go Timmy G. G.
0: Timmy G. Go Darrell P. Scotty Hodges. Uh dude. They're gonna do it. They are gonna do what so few have done for so long. They've taken the biggest scalp in footy. Bruce, there'll be a bit of noise here in a minute. They could get second spot still. They're a final four chance now. The Colossus of the game has been beaten. It's the best
2: win this club has ever had.